I've had a belief that if you take care of your team, they know their value, they know they're trusted, that's a starting point of being successful. Welcome to Mitten Money, delivering insights from Michigan-based business leaders, big and small. William Zank, host of Mitten Money at TriStar Trust, loves nothing more than creating this masterclass so that you can get insight to guide your leadership journey in just under 30 minutes. Subscribe today and connect with William at mittenmoney.com. So Mark, do you mind sharing with the listeners a little more about your background and scenario specifically? What inspired you to initially be within this field? You know, it's a tale of two stories. I've had like two lives, two careers. My first career in life was coming out of Michigan State in urban planning and actually going back to my hometown of Kalamazoo, working for a planning architectural engineering firm, got exposed to all things development related, but I found my interest in working on affordable housing issues, a lot of different ways, but the one that stuck with me is actually helping them do development because they had their own development companies. And so I cut my teeth on rural, affordable multifamily housing, and also was a market research expert. So I turned that into a move back to Lansing to work for a multi-state developer. And through that, I worked my way up, became president of the development company. While I was there, we developed close to 7,000 units of affordable housing in a number of different states in the Virgin Islands. And it was exciting work. My view of the work though was about making money, being recognized, being successful, playing hard and working hard, which doesn't work real well in a marriage with little kids. I found myself in the late eighties having that reckoning moment where you kind of at the bottom of the, the barrel realizing that I was really headed in the wrong direction. I was focused on all the wrong things. I had started working with a number of nonprofit organizations, faith-based groups, and helping them achieve their vision of housing. And I fell in love with it because I was like on the street working with the people that I realized that all these boxes I built these years, they're actually a real people living in them. And those real people, we were actually making an impact on them. And so that's when I said, I'm getting out of that business and found my opportunity that I was offered to start what was known as the Michigan Capital Fund for Housing. And I took a chance on it. It had never been done before, a state equity fund. It was at a time when Michigan was not a place that investors had any interest in, especially if you're doing a smaller neighborhood scale multifamily development in Benton Harbor or Flint or even Grand Rapids at that time. You couldn't raise the money to, you could always get a loan, but you couldn't get the equity to actually build the development. So that was the whole premise of this was to have a locally based investment partnership that could provide that kind of capital to developers. So I took it on. They had enough money to last three years. Nobody thought it would work. And for me, it was just a breath of fresh air to do something that I really loved doing. And so I figured I'd be back in the development world after three years. I'd just gotten married at the same time I started this. So it was a big change. We raised the first fund to $10 million in 14 months. They thought it was going to be three years. The investors loved the transaction. 
And they all came back, said, we want to do another one and we're going to put more money in it. And we took off from there. We had some external partners that were very helpful in our growth. And in the early 2000s, Indiana came to us, said, we want what you're doing in Michigan. We want here in Indiana. So we went down and we created the Indiana Capital Fund for Housing to do a fund there. The investors said, hey, this is great, but it's a new fund. We don't know these people. We know you guys. So if you become the managing general partner, we'll invest. So that's what we did. And then we realized why recreate the wheel in Indiana when we have everything here. And so we merged the two organizations in 2002. And that's when we became Great Lakes Capital Fund. And that led us to Illinois and Wisconsin. Both those states said, again, we want what you're doing here. And so that was our four state footprint up through the recession of 2010. We also at that time, because one of the things you realize in, in these areas where people say, well, you know, what is it you do? And it's like, well, we go where nobody else wants to go. And we have the ability to raise money and invest money and do loans where nobody else wants to do them. That was our core of kind of how we started. The other part of that is that we, we also take the time. We listen to what the people who live in that community want, what their vision is, what's their transformation look like. And we try to provide that to them through all the different capital sources we've developed. So that, that's how I got into this. I fell in love with, once I realized all the mistakes I made, I fell in love with, find, you know, it's the thing is so great is when you finally find your passion in your work, it's a really cool thing. And that's, I was lucky enough to be able to do that. So Mark, could you share some of the effects that having housing for underserved communities in place could have on a community? And so for instance, how might that impact jobs in the overall community as a whole? Housing is one of the foundational pieces of any, as I used to say, economic toolbox. You can bring an industry in, you can fill an industrial park, you can have all these grand announcements of, you know, 2,000 jobs coming because of an Amazon distribution center or whatever it is. But if you don't have housing that can house those people who are making those wages, your economy is not going to be what you think it's going to be just because you brought jobs. It has to be all in concert. You can't attract industry to a community unless you can show that you have a housing stock that can serve the people who are going to work there. And there's so many communities that don't get that. In my development days, I was chased out of so many communities and public hearings because they didn't want that kind of housing in their community, what's well, exactly the kind of housing they needed, you know, because this housing was for young people who might, might have been the bank teller or, you know, a rookie cop, you know, a nurse coming out of nursing school or a nurse technician, you know, all those jobs, that's the kind of housing that's needed. But it's so discounted in so many communities. And now, um, you know, it's interesting to see that there are politicians now putting on their campaign platforms, affordable housing. I've never seen it this much ever in my whole career than I've seen in the last three or four years where they were actually campaigning on affordable housing. And because they've started to figure out that without that, 
you're sharding your economy. Yeah, of course. It sounds like to your point, and using a little bit of a construction term here, it's about the bedrock, the foundation of the overall society. And without having that in place, I mean, I was just reading a, a phenomenal story from this morning, actually. And it was talking about a lot of the housing shortages that are currently in place in Northern Michigan and a lot of those seasonal resort towns. And some of these employers are actually having to go step up and buy houses, buy motels to go try and house all their workers. And so touching on your point directly, I mean, if you can't have the housing, well, you can't have the workers and the business doesn't go ahead and work around. So, I mean, I could definitely see how that's a, a super important key part to any neighborhood, any city, any municipality. And so if you don't mind me asking too, it sounds like Sanair to the first question that I asked you has been very successful from Michigan, Indiana, Wisconsin to a couple other Great Lakes states. And so what were some of those key traits that allowed you and your company to be so successful to be kind of, for lack of better words, that the model that works well? The very first thing is when I started, because I came out of some toxic <laughs> work environments, is if I ever had a chance to do this on my own, thing I would focus on, number one, is I'd focus on making sure the people that I hired and worked with me were valued as number one. And I had a belief that if you take care of your team, they know they're valued, they know they're trusted, that's a starting point of being successful. And if you pass that attitude on and that belief on through them to your external partners, into the communities, they will feel that we really care about them and what they have to say, and that we're there to actually help them, not take advantage of them. It, that is a culture that has led to us being very successful. We have the same, we deal with our investors in the same kind of attitude that they are important, not just as an organization, but as the people we're working with. Our development partners, many of them are long time, almost personal relationships that we have developed. And that's been our philosophy and our belief. And the other thing is, is we never started out looking at this as about how much money we're going to make. The money came as a result of that type of a business plan. And it, it has worked from day one until today. It's kind of our secret sauce, if you want to say. And so I could definitely see how focusing in on the employees, just as exactly what you mentioned, had probably been one of the biggest reasons why, and I'm sure there's a lot of other reasons thrown in there too, that you guys were recently recognized for the eighth time of being one of the best nonprofits to work for by the nonprofit's time. And so what does it mean to you to not only win that award once, but eight times? It confirms the belief that we had 28 years ago, it's working. You know, we've also been recognized just about the same number of times by Cranes as a cool place to work also. Um, and what's good is there, there's this 100 plus question survey that goes out to all of our team members, all anonymous. That tells us how we're doing. The ward is nice, but that twice a year, we get those surveys back we look at those and we make changes in the organization based on what the team is telling us that we could do better at. No, it's really intriguing. And so I can imagine probably, and maybe it's not from this survey, it could be from another survey, but talking about some of the benefits you offer to your employees. So a mutual friend, my colleague, 
Ben Bakken had mentioned some of the very unique, cool things that you guys do over at Sonair. And so I know one of the things that we'll talk about a little later in the interview is unlimited PTO. So just taking that idea, for example, were these some of these different benefits you guys offer, were they suggestions by the employees themselves or possibly introduced after seeing some industry trends? A combination of both. We've had a staff engagement committee for a number of years, which their, their role is take the temperature of everyone and you know what would make this a, a better work environment to be in. So they're very active and they've made a big difference for us is kind of the eyes and ears. And also the, the team feels like they're actually being heard and engaged. The other part of it is though, it's because of my belief that you have to always communicate how valuable your team members are. I just myself, I'm trying to find things, new things, new ways, new ideas, and I'll bring them in and we talk it through and and usually we get it, we get it put in place. And but a lot of things that you see on the list of the benefits that we provide are a combination of both of those. We're also big believers in leadership development. If I could ever get there, it's my goal, but I know it will never happen because we're so hardwired as humans. But I'd like to take the idea of organization structure, which is a pyramid, the top going out, you know, I'd like to flip, have that someday flipped on its head where I'm at the bottom and everything, the closer you get to the top where the action is, is that's what's running the company. That's who is telling us what we should be doing or not doing new ideas. And it's my job as CEO at the bottom to support that and provide those resources rather than this top-down hierarchical mentality of leadership and that's we have a leadership academy that everybody here goes through and it's with that in mind that everybody here can be a leader it's not about a title it's about creating a vision that people can see themselves in and when you do that people make promises and they make commitments and at that point you now have something that you can manage and then become a coach to that person to be successful and it doesn't matter if you're the ceo or you're the receptionist at the front door. You have equal power in being able to do that. So Mark, in your opinion, what do you think is stopping other employers from enacting different things like this to empower their employees more? It depends on the kind of business. You have those very heavy at the top, hierarchical kind of places that see staff as a tool for your shareholders or the tool for hitting the bottom line. And that many times those people are, can be interchangeable, you know, we'll just go find somebody else. Like, it's funny today, you can't do that very well, but you know, there still is this mentality there that you can't trust them. You know, if you give them too much, they're gonna in a way steal from you. And I believe that can, that will happen if they feel they're not valued. If they feel they're not valued, they feel they're not trusted, that is the dynamic and you have a lot of turnover then. And we don't we don't have that like a lot of places. So it's a, it's a mentality of how you view your workers and are they valuable to you and what you do or are they just tools? Sure. No, I think that's pretty thoughtful. And so 
I think something fascinating is your unlimited PTO policy that we mentioned earlier. And so I can imagine that some people might be fearful of putting something in like that. What has your experience been with it? And do you think it could possibly work in some environments versus others? Or do you think it could be wide scoping to where it could work if there is a dedicated... Now, again, this is all all things being considered. If there is a dedicated team willing to go put the time in place, do you think it could really be implemented from large companies to small companies? When I brought this idea in, everybody freaked out. Even the leadership team here, oh, we can't do that. You know, no, let's let's talk about that. You know, we tell our team they're valuable. And they've proven how valuable they are. We've also say we trust them. So if we believe that, why wouldn't this work? And I did a lot of research on the whole thing and the kinds of organizations, big or small, that this has worked in is where you have that trusting relationship with your team. They know your value. They know that they're they're part of something that's important. So when we announced this, we, we actually took everybody off site. We took them over to the Henry Center at MSU there and to announce this. And when we told, you know, we can do this because you are so valuable to us. We hire professionals, okay? You're a professional, you're an adult, you're valued. You know, we trust you. And when they heard that, it like, honestly, some people cried. We got a round of applause. Some people stood because they never heard that from an organization saying they're valuable, they're trusted, they're professionals, they're adults. We don't have to manage your time like that. And this freedom that was given to everybody. Now, the thing, if you adopt something like this, you the thing you have to watch because people do want boundaries. You know, they, they want to know how far I can go with something. So you have to watch those workaholics that you have that will never take any time. But we've, we track because you got to let your manager know when you're going to take time. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're sick. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're just taking time off, and it ties to how are you doing on your goals for the year. If you feel comfortable, you can do this. You want to take a month off. Here's where you're at on your goals. You might be a little short. Well, we'll let you do this, but how are you going to make up for this kind of thing? So it's a, it's a healthy conversation. But in tracking this now for five years, People are taking just about the same amount of time as they always did when they had three weeks, you know, and three weeks of vacation and two weeks of sick time or whatever it was. It hasn't changed much. But the idea that they are trusted and valued and they had the freedom made a huge difference. Sure. Yeah, that's really cool. And so now moving to our new lightning round of questions. So, Mark, what would you say is your most important? daily habit? I have two. I tell my wife I love her every day and I brush my teeth three times a day. (laughs) Okay. Moving on to the second question. What is your favorite TV or streaming show that you're currently watching or have recently? The PBS, Ken Burns PBS show on Ben Franklin was excellent. I'm actually probably watch it a second time. And then for fun, Ozark on Netflix that's just starting up again, which I'm excited about. <laughs> so what I have to say is, since we started doing the questions, 
we've had three out of four guests say Ozark. And so I think there might be, I think there might be a certain trend. Now I know that I, I personally like the TV show too. I think Jason Bateman is an incredible actor. And I think he also has some directing or producing responsibilities with the show, but I at least wanted to go mention Ozark is a very popular show with the mint money recommendation, I guess. And so yeah, I was going between Yellowstone and Ozark. They both are my favorites, but really? Ozark. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yellowstone. I, I really enjoy that. So talking about Yellowstone, a show that you definitely will have to check out. Are you familiar at all with the show 1883? Yes, I've watched it. Yes. Another excellent. It is. I have not seen a Western that good in a very long time. I think all the actors just do an amazing job, but I at least had to at least had to mention it since you said Yellowstone. Mark, moving along to the last question now, if you could be remembered for just one thing, what would it be? That I truly cared about people's well-being, and that became part of my whole family's history, that they would carry that on. That's really cool. That's really special. Was there a defining moment or something in regards to that that made you say that answer? What I went through at the end of that first life and career and realizing all that I was missing and then connecting with that, that's kind of my, I want to say my true compass now is that. That's really cool. And so Mark, for those who want to learn more about yourself or Sinair, what are some good resources for the listeners out there? The best is to go to our website, which is www.snare.com. There's a lot of information about our organization, its history, me. There's a number of videos on there that will give you a real sense for the kind of work that we do and the geography. You know, we're serving nine states and there's stories in there about all that we do in, in the different states we operate in. Well, that's really cool. I appreciate you mentioning that. So thank you everyone again for listening to another episode of Mid Money. Please don't forget to follow our podcast so you don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. I really appreciate the time. You've been listening to Mitten Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at tristartrust.com. <laughs>